Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn about upcoming apologetics events, our podcast, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 about what it means to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the faith. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read through the text before we break it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Paul writes, Let a man regard us, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, verse 6, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to, the, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I do not write these things to these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Father, as we think about the Apostle Paul's words to a church in the first century, a church very much rooted in a society like that of Corona or really any American city, but especially a city that had so much going on, so much prosperity, so many different ideologies, so many different schools of thought. And the Corinthian congregation had really embraced the world and brought the world into the church rather than bringing the church into the world. And they were paying the price. Partisanship and factions, division around personality, began to flood into the church, and the church had become really carnal. 
And Lord, that's the danger that really the modern church faces is we become so enamored with the world, the culture, that we lose the one foundation that cannot be changed. The one foundation that is fixed, which is Jesus Christ. That foundation's been laid and there's no other foundation that could be laid except the one which is laid, which is Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Help us as your bride, your church, never to forget that you are the only foundation that we can build on. Help us to build wisely, as we talked about last week, to, to build with the right materials and to look forward to a time when we will be before you in that Bema Seat judgment when we will be rewarded for faithfulness, for fidelity, for good stewardship to the things of God. Help us to remember that ultimately you're the one that we want to please, not man. And help us, Father, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do for the Lord is never in vain. May you bless as we study your word now. May you lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, the Corinthian congregation was definitely filled with partisanship, and they were really trying to build on other foundations other than Christ. Whether they would admit it or not in an interview, they were doing just that. They were trying to build on people instead of building on Christ. The longer I live, the more I can see the feebleness of people. <laughs> and I can see that we all have feet of clay, including yours truly. The moment that we think we've arrived and we've become strong, we can be surprised how weak we can be. How easy it is to vacillate between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. If you try to make people your foundation, you will be in deep trouble because people are fickle. People mean well. We all mean well. Those of us who've been walking with the Lord for some time, we all mean well, but we know how in, unstable we can be. Instability seems to be a very human trait. And so there's only one foundation that can be laid, and it's the one that's been laid, and His name is Jesus, and He is the only one who can bring you all the way to the finish line. He's the only one who can bring you true stability in whatever season of life you find yourself. And that's what Paul said in the last chapter. Paul said not only is Jesus the only true foundation, but there's going to be a day when you stand before this Jesus as a Christian. And that test or that beam of seat judgment will not be about your sin. Your sin was paid for in full at the cross. Praise God, we are saved by grace. Through faith, it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not by works, lest anybody should boast. So that day, that beam of seat judgment is not going to be about boasting. It's not going to be about your sin. It's going to be about what you did with what you were given once you became a Christian. It's going to be about your good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's prepared them, but He also gives you free will to walk in them. And the question that we have to wrestle with as Christian is, what am I, Christians is, what am I doing with my time, talent, and treasure? What am I supposed to be doing as a servant of Christ? How should I see myself? 
Are we seeing things the way we're supposed to? Well, the Corinthian church wasn't. And so Paul, in trying to correct them in love, and we need to keep in mind verse 14 when he says he's not trying to shame them, but to admonish them as beloved children. Sometimes I think we hear some of the teaching in, in Corinthians and other passages, and we think that, well, you know, Maybe Paul is just trying to beat the sheep. And we've probably all experienced preaching like that before where we come in every Sunday and we feel like we just get beat up. And maybe the thought comes to your mind, I get beat up all week at work. I get beat up on the freeways. I get beat up in this area, that. And then I come to church and poof, 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 a little bit more. That's not the idea here. But the idea here is admonishment or encouragement or exhortation so that we might take a good look at our, our lives, our trajectory, if you will, and align it to Christ. That's the way we can live well. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. He wants to give you an abundant life. And so Paul says, you need to regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's 1 Corinthians 4.1. This is how you need to look at us. Not that you're building on people. We are simply, see the first word, servants. Now, typically, the word servant is diakonos in Greek, and it's where we get the word deacon. And that's a very common rendering from the Greek to the English is into, uh, from diakonos to the idea of servanthood. And we all understand kind of the deacon role, but that's not the word here. The word here is a different Greek word. It's hupe retes. And it literally means an under rower. So each week, my wife, who does all the graphics for the church, she asks me, where are you going with the sermon? And what's a good image to capture where the sermon's going? And it's, this is the word for servant in 1 Corinthians 4.1. It's an under rower. Now, for those of you who saw the movie Ben-Hur, you will know what an under rower is. How many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? Okay, so they had these Roman galley ships, and if you were a slave to Rome, they would sometimes put you in these ships, and you would be beneath, in the hole, if you will, unseen, and you would be rowing for the Roman army. And so you could only see the paddles that went into the water. These slaves would be underneath in the galley of the ship, I think is what it would be called, and you would be rowing and rowing. And sometimes you'd have to row into battle. And you would have to actually ram other ships and that kind of thing. And so when Paul says, I want you to see us properly, he says, this is what I am. I'm an under rower. Now imagine, you're the Apostle Paul. You write two-thirds of the New Testament letters. And you define yourself as what? An under rower? A slave, a servant of Christ, but that's what Paul said he was. He said, essentially, I want to be hidden. I want to just push, push the ship along in the water for the sake of my master who's leading the vessel. I'm going into battle. I'm going into hard times. Look, the under rower's job, some of you who watch Ben-Hur, you know the agony that these guys went and how hard they pushed him as that one guy would hit the drum and they had to keep up with the beat of the drum. Hi, this is Mike Massaro, and I just wanted to invite you out to our special 633 service on November 10th, starting at, you guessed it, 633. We're going to be talking to Natasha Crane, who has written a book called Talking With Your Kids About God. 
The topic that night is going to be teaching your kids and college students apologetics. So for all you parents, or if you're planning on having kids, or if you have grandkids, this would be a great night for you to attend. If you need more information, go to walkintruth.com and click on events. That's walkintruth.com events. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, Back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Each week, my wife, who does all the graphics for the church, she asks me, where are you going with the sermon, and what's a good image to capture where the sermon's going? And it's, this is the word for servant in 1 Corinthians 4.1. It's an under rower. Now, for those of you who saw the movie Ben-Hur, you will know what an under rower is. How many of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur? Okay, so they had these Roman galley ships, and if you were a slave to Rome, they would sometimes put you in these ships, and you would be beneath, in the hole, if you will, unseen, and you would be rowing for the Roman army. And so you could only see the paddles that went into the water. These slaves would be underneath in the galley of the ship, I think is what it would be called, And you would be rowing and rowing. And sometimes you'd have to row into battle. And you would have to actually ram other ships and that kind of thing. And so when Paul says, I want you to see us properly, he says, this is what I am. I'm an under rower. Now imagine, you're the Apostle Paul. You write two-thirds of the New Testament letters. And you define yourself as what? An under rower? A slave, a servant of Christ, but that's what Paul said he was. He said, essentially, I want to be hidden. I want to just push, push the ship along in the water for the sake of my master who's leading the vessel. I'm going into battle. I'm going into hard times. Look, the under rower's job, some of you who watch Ben-Hur, you know the agony that these guys went and how hard they pushed him as that one guy would hit the drum and they had to keep up with the beat of the drum. That's how Paul sees his life, at least at this moment, is I am simply an under rower. Now, how far is that removed from the modern Western concept of Christianity? Think about it. 
How many people see themselves as someone who simply would enter into the vessel and do their part to push it along? No, there's a lot of modern Christianity that simply critiques how the vessel moves. But not willing to go down below and get involved in the battle. Just to be blunt. And so Paul says this is what we are. We are under rowers of Christ. And secondly, and these are two S's, good way to guide the sermon here. Servants of Christ and stewards, second uh, S in the verse 1, of the mysteries of God. We are servants and we are stewards. Now I think most of you who have been around for a while know what a steward is. A steward would run a large estate in the ancient world for his master. And so the master would be largely removed from the daily operation, but the steward would represent the master to the household. And he would take care of the other servants. He would attend to the finances. He would basically run everything in the stead of the master. Joseph is a good Old Testament example. In Potiphar's house, he was a steward. And he said to Potiphar's wife, the only thing my master hasn't given to me is you. You are his wife and I will not touch you because I'm not going to sin against God. I've been entrusted with this honor and I want to honor my master and serve him well. You, my friend, are a servant and a steward of many things in your life. You're a steward of your relationships. You're a steward of your ministry. You're a steward of your spiritual gifts. You're a steward of your finances. And the Bema Seat Judgment, please hear what I'm going to say. The Bema Seat Judgment is going to be all about how you served and stewarded the things of God. That's what it's going to be about. That's what's going to go through the fire is what I gave you, were you faithful with those things? The talents I gave you, Matthew 25. Did you bury it in the ground or did you put my money into the bank or did you invest it so that there could be more? And again, we need to remember that the main idea here is not quantity but quality. We have a stewardship. The stewardship is the mysteries of God. Jesus said to the uh, apostles that he was sharing them, with them the things that many would not see. He said, blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because you hear. And then he spoke about the parable of the sower. He says, it's been entrusted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others, it's not been granted. You can check Matthew 13, verse 11. It's been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Look, before I became a Christian, spiritual things were pretty much a mystery to me. <laughs> How about you? I didn't know God. I knew things about God, but I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with God. And there are many things in the spirit, spiritual world or the things of the Spirit that I could pontificate about only because I heard ideas from other people or my friends. But did I really know what God said about the mysteries? And the mysteries here is not some whodunit movie. It's more about things once concealed, now revealed in Christ. In this case, for those who have been entrusted with these mysteries, verse 2, 
It is required, moreover, it is required, it's not a suggestion, it's a requirement of stewards, one who manages another's goods, estate, etc. The one requirement of a steward is that they be found what? Faithful or trustworthy. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you is to do justly. It's to love mercy. It's to walk humbly with your God. Paul says, I've been given a trust. And the one demand on my life is to be faithful to it. I cannot bunt when I should take a full swing with the Gospel. I cannot water down the Word of God when I know within the Word of God is inherent power of God. I cannot come up to a pulpit and tell stories and anecdotes when I know the power is in the Word. And the trust that's been given to me in ordination vows that I took many years ago is to be faithful to the Gospel. No matter who my audience may be, whether I'm at a memorial service or preaching to people in a park or at a family dinner, I have been given a trust. And so have you. The church guards the treasure of the Gospel. I read a letter that was submitted to a prominent theologian, William Lane Craig. It's about a year ago. A man writing from Switzerland. He said, Dr. Craig, my church is corrupt and bankrupt. My pastor no longer believes in the Bible. My pastor no longer believes in the historic Christian faith. In fact, from the pulpit, he mocks historic Christianity. This is a church that I have invested my life in. I have served in. I have prayed for. I have pleaded with the leadership. They deny pretty much every essential doctrine of the historic Christian faith. What do I do now? Where do I go? My pastor doesn't even believe the Bible anymore. This was written from a man a year ago who lives in Switzerland. His church no longer believes in the Scripture. Denies the Gospel. What do you do now? Some years ago, I heard a woman call an apologetics program. It was Greg Kokel. And the woman said, my church has become seeker-sensitive is the way she put it. She said, from the pulpit, they don't really preach the Word of God anymore. There's a lot of stories and entertainment a lot of lots directed at, at the unbeliever and the unchurched. And she, she basically said, I'm starving for the Word of God. But I do believe, she said, I can be a change agent in my church. And so I'm praying for the leadership and I'm trying to approach them to plead with them to give us the meat instead of the milk. And so Greg said, well, let me ask you a question. So you're basically seeing yourself as a missionary to your own church and to your own leadership. Let me ask you a question. Are you supposed to be equipping your leadership or are they supposed to be equipping you? Should you be a missionary to your church or should they be equipping you to be a missionary to the world? Look, I understand the dilemma, especially if you've been in a place a long time and you've kind of watched it, you know, go off. What do you do? It's a difficult question and there's a lot of factors in it. 
And Greg wisely responded this way. He said, look, there's nothing wrong with churches being seeker-sensitive. Every church should be seeker-sensitive. If, if a seeker comes through these doors, what will we do? We'll love them. We'll preach the Gospel to them. We want them to come to Christ. We did the Harvest Fest because we are sensitive to seekers. But he said the problem is not seeker-sensitivity. The problem is seeker-centeredness. He said when churches embrace this, they become not seeker-sensitive, but seeker-centered in that they do everything for the seeker. And if you as a Christian say, Pastor, please preach the Word of God. I want to grow. They say to you, oh, you need to get over that. Because we're all here so the seeker can feel comfortable. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Usually when the church gathers on a Sunday morning, 95% of us who come through the doors already know Christ. Or we already know the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we need now? We need meat, not milk. We can have other contexts for the basics class and Bible studies for that. But you guys all know what I'm saying. The church has been given a stewardship. And the one thing that we need to do is to be found faithful. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and that was part one of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 called Servants and Stewards. A reminder that we archive our radio teachings on our website at walkintruth.com and also as a podcast on your favorite podcast app like iPodcast, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, and pretty much every other one. So you could listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want. That's our gift to you. Now, tune in tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 about what it means to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the faith. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.